0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. tingling ling ling city desk pull the press, pull the press, extra, extra read all about it, it's a mess meets the test. Oh newspeggermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. We are grateful to have you this week on the Media Project, your half hour of commentary and analysis on issues in the news media, and we hope that you uh, get something of value out of our ruminations here. I'm Rex Smith with Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and Dr. Alan Shartok. That would be the uh, editor, the investigative reporters, the publisher, and Dr. Shartok.
1: So- wait, 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 wait,
2: wait. So, <laughs> just wait one second. <laughs> Just wait one second here. I am a former publisher of The Fire Island Sun. I want to, I want to make sure that everybody understands that.
0: The Fire Island Sun, yes. Mm-hmm. And,
2: and, and, and the just publisher of the Legislative Gazette newspaper. So if you, with your pompous imperialism, would just stop me. <laughs>
0: All right. We're off and running, folks. So here's a question that I want to posit to the group. And Dr. Shartok, you can get your first shot at it if you like here. It has to do with the coverage of the coronavirus, of course. The fact is that it seems as though we are trying to tell two stories at once because we have a virus that is affecting people in different ways. It is a virus of the unvaccinated where there is not enough concern, whereas the vaccinated Americans seem to be overwhelmed by fear that doesn't really quite match the reality of their lives. The difficulty is how do we cover this? Having covered this now for well over a year, what can we do? Is there a way to not be underwater on this, say, and not have us be ineffective in trying to convey to people what needs to be done.
2: Well, you have really had a mouthful there, and you are so right, Rex, that this is a story that has been around for a while, and a lot depends on the readers as well as on the people who put the stories out and what they're going to do. Now, you know, there are people who are just tired of the whole thing. They want to go into New York City. If they live in the suburbs, they just don't want it anymore. And if you're a newspaper, you know you're playing to the way that people think about things. Is what you're writing going to be either boring or unpopular? And I do believe that that is a situation we find ourselves in now. But I'm more interested in what Rosemary has to say about this.
3: You always say that, Alan. When you don't have any more to say, I think that's so. That is so right. Or,
2: or as the old joke, or as the old joke goes, you found me out. You found
3: me out. And I, I am in a similar situation. It is a very bad problem. We know that people are annoyed with the whole story, with the whole situation that's behind the story. We're just the messenger that gets kicked for it, and yet our job is to keep after it. I think part of the story is that disgust with the whole thing with the growing impatience worse than that Mm -hmm. of one side for the other. The vaccine resistors are now being blamed and there's less and less patience with them. No no more understanding how could they be so sadly diluted. It's like you're messing up things for all of us and we're sick of it. And that's part of the story that we're covering. And as usual, I think the media has to press ahead, keep covering it, keep seemingly repeat the same stuff because it's been a year and a half of repetition of this now and we have to just keep doing it and criticism be damned.
0: Ira, let me ask you to react to this because here's a point that I think makes well what I was trying to say, rambling on, as Alan noted. Uh, Dr. Nicole Safir, who is on Fox News, actually said something thoughtful in a tweet. She said, the best path forward that will bring the most amount of happiness and health is if vaccinated adults stop overestimating their COVID risk and unvaccinated adults stop underestimating theirs. But that's hard for us us to do as journalists, right? To well, come,
1: I think to the coverage, uh, the media coverage writ large, meaning not just print, but broadcast and cable and radio, etc., has shifted in a way that mirrors what's going on and the natural reaction in the country. And by that, I mean, 75 percent, I believe, is the current figure of Americans who've been vaccinated. Most Americans' lives are more or less back to normal. Yes, they still wear masks if they're concerned when they go in the grocery store, as I did the other day. There are all sorts of regulations that they have to dance around. But I believe most Americans don't believe that the pandemic has ended, but it has reached a point where we can live more or less Normal lives. And that is amplified when you see pictures of football stadiums filled with people, most of them unvaccinated, and baseball stadiums and the like. If we were vaccinated, we seemed to be safe. Those who are not vaccinated, less so. And as this all relates to coverage, I believe the coverage reflects yeah. that we're not covering it nearly as high up on the news cycle as we used to. But we're still covering it every day. We're reporting it. But I think that it's fallen almost into the flu category.
2: You know, Ira, I have a few problems with what you just said. First of all, the numbers are not going down. They're going up. There are more people. Among non
1: vaccinated
2: people. No, among everybody. In other words, it's true that the people who are non vaccinated are at the greatest risk. But we also know that there are people who are getting the disease even though they've been vaccinated. And that has to be covered. And it scares the hell out of me. I don't know about anybody else who I've not only had the first shot, the second shot, but now the third shot. And it's a very scary proposition. And if there's anything that newspapers thrive on, it's scary propositions.
1: Well, I don't dispute, and in fact, I said that the media is still covering this story. I'm just saying that it's not the number one story on the nightly news every night. It's become more normal part of our routine, and the country's getting used to it.
2: I don't know. You know, my wife wants to go into New York, and she just is always putting herself, in my opinion, at risk by wanting to do that. Boy, am I going to catch it for this. But I think the job of the press is to say, okay, this is still a very risky proposition, like it or not.
0: It is a nuanced issue, though, which is really difficult to get across. Forty-five percent of Americans get most of their news from television, 18 percent from social media. And that kind of coverage tends to be what gets our attention. It has to be delivered in a quick way to deal with our short attention span. And so what we're talking about here are nuances. That is, the risk to your wife, Alan, is probably less than what your estimating since she's vaccinated and uh, you know there have been a lot of experts saying we're moving toward a situation where we will be dealing with COVID-19 as we deal with the flu. Some people die from the flu every year Fewer than half Americans get the flu shot, though they could protect themselves if they did. And we are moving in this direction where the complexity of the story, the risk to certain people and the lack of risk to others is really hard for us to convey, especially in an environment where people are getting their news from sources that have to deliver it on a really quick, let me get your attention basis.
3: But I've gotten interested in the last couple of weeks looking at arguments from what I consider the other side. I'm obviously pro-vaccination. So looking at the argument from people who attacked Dr. Fauci, who attacked the science and, you know, the Desantises of the world. And do they have a point that the media is missing? Like, their point is, why are we putting all our eggs in the basket of vaccination? Why aren't we looking at treatments the way DeSantis has? He's put in, you know, the Regeneron Cures, which are quite expensive and yet very effective in treatment. And Mary Beth Pfeiffer, who is, um, we know her in New York as a former, you know, excellent investigative reporter in Poughkeepsie has written about, she actually is an ivermectin supporter. But her real point is, why are we not Dealing with treatments. The government and the medical establishment, if you will, which she is opposed to, are just putting all the eggs into the basket of you got to get vaccinated or there's no other hope. And is that really true? And does the media go along with that in our quest to be scientific and evidence based? Are we not asking bigger questions the way conservatives and vaccine resistors are asking them?
1: I'm not sure we're not doing that, but I am sure that the emphasis on vaccination is because vaccinations are proven to be effective. I mean, I think that by all means, there ought to be stories on, on what might be considered outlier potential cure. But vaccination, we do know from history, recent history, they work. I mean, I think a bigger story right now is why there are no vaccinations for children. Even those of us who have been vaccinated and are of a certain age, we have children and grandchildren who are not vaccinated and ought to be, and we're willing to have them vaccinated. I mean, I just don't understand the science all these many months later that there is not a vaccine that's been approved for use by children. That's a story that I would be going after.
2: Darn, I agree with every word Ira said.
3: Well, you sort of skipped over my point, though. I think that Ira is right, but Regeneron also works. It's not a matter of we only tout what works. Regeneron is really expensive, but... Okay, so our vaccines, and we are providing them free. So there is something odd going on with the way the establishment works, and the way we cover it, and give approval to some things and disapproval to others, or ignore others.
0: Well, we were chastised as a group, the media projectors here, for some sort of offhand comments that we made in perhaps the last show about ivermectin. And I think I'm probably the guilty party here. Who referred to this horse dewormer, and the difficulty. You were not wrong
3: in that, by the way, Rex. Well, it is a horsey warmer. It is a horsey warmer, warmer,
0: yes. It is also in human dosage prescribed for other purposes, but it is certainly not approved for treatment of the coronavirus and has, in fact, shown in any studies that they have done that it's not effective. Yet, there are some people who have been buying it in veterinary supply quantities, and uh, the question that was raised in a letter that we got is, did we, in belittling the people who are are buying this horse dewormer to treat their virus to offset it did we jump on that because it helps further the stereotype of the antivirus forces as being ignorant rural rubes or something like that
3: there is something to that it's the same with hydrochloroquine which we jumped on because we don't like trump we the media don't like trump and so we wanted to make him look foolish but in fact medically there was some reason to look at that drug and to see if it had properties that could help in coronavirus. It was not completely off the wall, and the same with ivermectin. And yes, subsequent tests have shown, no, it's not effective, don't use it. And people who take doses intended for 1,200-pound horses, I'm sorry, that is a stupid rube, and we're right to call it that. But the idea that we just dismiss things when the other side brings them up, and I'll go back to whether the virus jumped out of Wuhan's lab or was put out by evil scientists in China, we ignored that because we didn't like the source of the information, which was the conservative Republican side.
1: Well, we were also more prone to listen to the scientists. We listened to the CDC. We listened to Fauci. And what they were touting was the established scientific way to go, which primarily meant vaccinations. I mean, how many interviews, if you go back to whenever the virus started, and what was the first question they would ask the experts? When are we going to have a vaccine? And that was what we have been fixated on. And it just sounds funny to say, oh, yeah, there's this treatment that's given to horses, humans will take that. I mean, our initial reaction, I would say, understandably, is, well, that's a lot of baloney.
3: Except that we were wrong, and even Fauci yes. himself now says, oh, we got to keep an open mind. And that's what I'm saying. We initially go in, and we want the scientists to be right. We want the Biden administration to be right. And so we tend to not listen to what the other side is saying. I think that's really dangerous and biased.
2: I'm a little concerned with the other side. The press isn't one side, is it?
0: Well, it's— uh, yes, the pr- I it, Yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, the, the media does uh, reflect— A bias in favor of science, let's say, Uh, and certainly there is – most journalists are uh, politically to the left of, uh, let's say, Donald Trump and his ilk, Uh, but that's partly because we have such a reliance on fact as being sort of the basis of what we're supposed to do, and I know people are rolling their eyes and saying, oh, well, this is – Uh, journalists self-justifying, but it is Mm. true that uh, we try very hard to get things right. We believe in science. We believe in uh, substantiating uh, what we do, and that leads us to a bias against people who lie repeatedly, and so when occasionally – Um, Even Tucker Carlson probably gets something right every now and then. It's very hard for most of us in um, mainstream news coverage to accept uh, that what we're hearing there has any validity. Um, and, and the country, but this reflects a division in the country. Gallup polling says forty uh, percent believe that Joe Biden has communicated a clear path of action. Forty-two percent say he hasn't. Um, the the country is quite divided, and uh, the, the uh, we're we're yet a um, a group of uh, journalists trying very hard to serve a diverse. Uh, nation,
3: but you know, correct, and that's exactly why I'm saying that we need to listen to the other side a lot better than we have. Just now, you refer to it as lies. It turned out not to be a lie that the virus may have escaped from the lab. It turned out to be not a lie that Regeneron is a treatment that works. You don't need necessarily vaccines are probably the best, but you don't need to rely only on that. Uh, ivermectin does have some properties that could that could help in the treatment. At time after mass are a good thing to wear. Fauci changed his mind on that, too. But by following the science, by saying, taking this high and mighty course that we're we're only going to look at the evidence of what the scientists say, we have missed a number of facts in this case. And it has led to the distrust from the other side. Wait a minute. By following the science
0: instead of the anti-science, that's what you're saying? We should listen to the anti-science?
3: We should not listen to it. We should not just ridicule them, call it lies as we just are right now, and look into what they're saying. There is evidence for some of the stuff they're saying. It's not completely off the wall.
2: Okay. Well, well, no, I, I don't agree with that, Rosemary, because the media did a pretty good job when some of these ideas about where the virus came from and stuff, there was an or what it contained. There were immediate reliance on the scientists and going. And by the way, Fox does not mirror what The New York Times says either. And you guys caution me time and time again not to lump the media into one pot. And I think that's something important to remember now.
1: Okay,
3: so the right wing media is saying, Oh, we yeah, we gotta yeah, not have yeah. vaccines and the Chinese are evil and they unleash this on us and then liberal, the the good media, what I would call the good media, mm. the legacy media, is saying, No, the scientists say this, Oh, wait, wait, they changed their mind and now they're saying this. Why can't we just step back and say to Fauci, you know, people are pushing Ivermectin, are they really so crazy? And what about this and what about that? There are credible arguments on the side of people who are wrong and the scientists have been wrong. And we've reported that, and it looks like flip-flopping because we won't listen to the people who we disagree with. I'm speaking too much here, and I'm not making sense. But what I'm calling for is more open-mindedness on the part of science writers in the press.
0: I think yeah. I think you're making sense. It's just that it's a very complex issue because science does change. As you pointed out, initially, we didn't think that masks would protect us. And then when it became clear that people should be wearing masks all the time, well, by that time, Donald Trump had turned it into a political issue. Right. I mean, frankly, I do think the problem with this is a political problem first, which has then manifested itself as a communication issue. People are dying of this disease, but in fact, they're dying due to misinformation or even just simply paying no attention to the information. A lot of the people who are creating the greatest risk are those who simply avoid paying attention to the news media.
1: The latest example of that is the question of booster shots. I mean, I believe about a month ago when they said we're going to need a third shot, those of us who believe in vaccines and are of a certain age are ready to start lining up immediately. Now we're hearing stories that they're recommending we put a hold on booster shots. Well, which is it? It's the, the confusion. And as we've said, the messaging is messing yeah. with our minds. And by our, I mean the media's.
2: Yeah, Ira, there's no question about that third shot, but they've said hold off. And the reason they're saying hold off is we've got to study it more. But these are also. That
1: was not their initial point. They didn't say anything about study. They said we're going to get one and it will be available in October. Yeah, that's true. Now they're mm-hmm. saying
3: hold. And why are you they know, saying? One thing to look at is the hole that misinformation has on people. You, you are right. Misinformation is killing people. But why are they misinformed? Because they do not trust the media that's relying only on the scientists. It looks like they're flip-flopping. It looks like they're ignoring the other side. Again, an argument for open-mindedness, I think, would go a long way. Is Rand Paul right about anything when he talks about Fauci? Is um, is there anything to be said about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that uh, that would make the other side think it's such a good deal? We are ignoring that, and that no, no,
0: fun. we're not ignoring that. I think we are appropriately mm-hmm. questioning people who lie to us repeatedly and who are killing people with misinformation. That would be Rand Paul. That would be Fox News. So I think you need to be careful in saying the media needs to pay more attention to the people who denigrate science. I don't think that our job Is to go along with the anti-science crusaders It is to rather try as best we can To reflect the uncertainty of science Which does flop around a bit, right?
3: That's fair, but even look at this letter that came in to us Our immediate reaction was Who is this guy writing with this stuff? Not, hey, does he have a point? And that's the thing that Rand Paul is not anti-science. He is a doctor. I think he's wrong about a lot of things. But we've never sat down and examined that. Why is he so anti-Fouchy? Who should we be trusting? Well, he, he There is, are stories he, that could be written about our own confusion. Well, he
2: is because he's a jerk. <laughs> I mean, that's quite, <laughs> that, that's quite clear. Here we
0: go. <laughs> now we've got a that good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armao, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith. And we are The Media Project. You can share your views, media at wamc.org. RG. Here's one from a reader, actually, uh, from a listener, sorry, and Mahopak, who says, I ask you to discuss the media's responsibility to use correct language when reporting on the Texas anti-abortion law. First, repeating the law bans abortion after six weeks does not make clear that it refers to the last menstrual period, which means approximately four weeks into the pregnancy, right? And repeating the term fetal heartbeat is incorrect. The medical profession says the fluttering can be heard at six weeks is not by the heart at that point of gestation. You know, this is a very interesting point because the legislation is referred to in Texas as the heartbeat bill. Those who have supported the anti-abortion Texas law repeatedly use that term heartbeat when, in fact, what is being heard there is an electrical impulse in the embryo. There's not a heartbeat, of course, at four weeks. So it is an interesting point that is raised, a correct point. But in reporting about the bill, you always have this difficulty because the terms that politicians apply to things are not necessarily scientific, as we've been discussing, but they are the way they are labeled. And by taking the shorthand, we run the risk of actually purveying an untruth.
1: Well, at the end of the day, the Supreme Court acted, what do they call it, a shadow decision, rarely. Shadow docket. But mm-hmm. Hardly transparent, number one. And number two, the end result was to effectively ban abortions in Texas. And I have no knowledge, wouldn't dare to criticize the facts that the letter writer made, but that deeper in the weeds than the basic story, which seems to me has been covered accurately. Well,
2: you know, the United States Supreme Court at this stage of the game is a Trump court. It was appointed, many of them, for their views on abortion. And if the press really had the necessary cojones in all of this, They would say that. They would point it out time and time again that this is not a court. This is something that is very different from what we would expect of a fair and unbiased judiciary. And we're not getting that.
3: I do think that the words matter. And the words in the abortion debate are... All euphemisms and public relations, pro-life, pro-choice, both sides want to portray themselves as being in favor of something when, in fact, they are pro and anti-abortion. Why don't we just say that? And whether you call it an unborn child or a fetus or an embryo, that does make a difference. And she's absolutely right. The fetal heartbeat is not a heartbeat at that at that age. And I think the case, when it gets into the weeds, will point that out. And AOC did a great service when she was countering Governor Abbott, who was arguing that, no, no, we're not banning abortion. You have six weeks after you've been raped or you're the victim of incest and you can get an abortion. And of course, that is biologically impossible because you do not know at six weeks. You're at most two weeks late for a period. And most women who have not ever been Pregnant have been two weeks late for a period So you're not even suspecting a pregnancy That and she pointed it out and That's great because it should be women Telling these yahoos in Texas How they have messed up this law And I agree with Alan that I don't Think the Supreme Court is going to get us out of this It's going to be women taking over The debate and trying to set it right We have a long way to go on this issue
0: It's a very difficult thing when The label on a law is intentionally Misleading it right. is Referred to by the sponsors as the text. Heartbeat Act. And we know, as you're saying, this is not actually heartbeat. But I don't know that it's true that we need to do, as Alan says, point out that the Supreme Court is not really a court. It is that. I think that we've had pretty effective coverage showing that this is the impact of Donald Trump's presidency, what we're seeing happening. I don't feel as though journalists have not pointed that out. And the fact that we are here talking about the shadow docket, that this was done in the middle of the night without a full argument on the merits of the case. I think that's been pointed out by journalists pretty effectively. I don't know how you're supposed to do any more than what they've done. Well,
2: well, yeah, I couldn't disagree more. The fact of the matter is, if you poll most people in the United States, they have no idea what the hell you're talking about. They have no idea what went on in uh, the court, who appointed the court, and the rest of it. No, this court needs examination by journalists that is thorough and complete and tells the story.
1: Well, I, I, I think don't there's think you're been in that. What there. did you say, Fred? I mean, <laughs> Rex. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Ira, Fred. Listen, I, I wouldn't say every story about the Supreme Court lists who the president appointed, which of the judges was appointed by whom, but many of them do. I can read any number of stories where it says, you know, Kavanaugh appointed by Trump or so and so appointed by Obama. So I don't believe the use of the word never is accurate there, but you're a it, it, journalist it certainly it's not done every time.
2: You're a journalist, Ira. You went to college. You are among the elite in the United States who read this stuff and understand it. But I don't think we as journalists do right by letting people know at every level of our society. What's really going on here?
3: Well, the, the real point also is that this is a court purposefully and deliberately set up to go exactly. after every way. Trump exactly. promised that he was going to look for justices that would overturn or be willing to overturn. He touted each one of his three appointees as people who are opposed to uh, abortion rights. And I have seen that in articles. But on the other hand, you're also right, Alan, you can't make people read or listen to the reports you do. I don't know what the media is supposed to do about those who ignore the news.
0: Do a better job do a better job. I don't know. That's a wonderful charge. The problem is you have to be quick and superficial. Once again, remember that percentage of Americans who get most of their news from television, they want it in bites. And when we're talking about science, we're talking about the way a court operates. These are complex issues, and we just don't have a patience for that anymore. We have people who react to sloganeering. And unfortunately, thank you, Rupert Murdoch, we have a media ecosystem now that is focused more on getting a political point across than getting information that is accurate into people's hands. I really think the denigration of the media ecosystem began with the creation of Fox News might not have been as bad as it is now in America if it weren't for the way Rupert Murdoch influenced the media overall starting 15 years ago.
1: If you're not watching this series called Gossip, but it's a four-part series on Showtime, which very heavily focuses on the New York Post and on Murdoch, I recommend it. It's an eye-opener. Yeah, terrifying. As it a matter of fact, funny. it shows how we got to where we are.
2: Exactly, Rex. And for those of us who are a little older and I am, I remember the Post when it was considered to be the great liberal bastion of all time. And then along comes Murdoch. He buys it, and it just goes to show all of us, doesn't it? that newspapers who we want to be unbiased and read out the news really go to the highest bidder.
0: Well, we'll have to let it go at that point, I'm afraid. That would be Dr. Alan Chartok of WAMC, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith. And we are grateful to our producer, David Gustina, for putting up with us, and you also for joining
1: us this week on The Media Project. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of The Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.